Well, there's, there's no doubt that uh, we are living in interesting times, aren't we? Whatever's going on in the world, one thing I don't think you can say is that life is boring right now. These are certainly interesting times that we are living in. And one of the reasons for that is that we were experiencing and living through one of the greatest social revolutions probably in the history of the human race. And we are, we're right in the midst of it right now. You know, how we communicate and how we relate to one another is drastically changing. And what's even crazier is that it's really drastically changed, probably in the last, I don't know, 20, 15, 10 years. There's a kind of exponential factor to it. And this rapid pace at which our society is is changing, I think has left many of us with our heads spinning, hasn't it? We're trying to catch our breath. Of course, one of the, the driving factors behind this revolution that is transforming society is, is technology. But technology is not the only factor or not the only major factor that is, that is driving so much change in our society right now, or rather is undergirding our society. No, I think there are, there are a number of big factors right now that are kind of undergirding our society. And two of those big factors, I believe, right now are, are one, our need for comfort. We're a very comfort-driven society, aren't we? You know, we're kind of like cats in that way, right? We, we're comfort-driven creatures. We like our home comforts. We like the temperature being at just the right place, right? Not too cold, not too hot. A bit like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you know, the Little Bear's Porridge. Okay? Many people, their goal in life is they want to be comfortable, right? How many times have we heard somebody say, you know, I, I don't need to be rich. I, don't, I just, I just want to be comfortable, you know, but we are very much addicted to comfort. We don't want anything uncomfortable or challenging in life if left to ourselves, right? We kind of don't want to bring that on us. We'd rather just things go along nicely. So one of the factors driving our society right now is comfort. The other one is fear. Yeah? Much in our society is driven by and is rooted in fear. And I think actually to, to really get the full understanding of fear, you have to say the word fear like the emperor from Star Wars says it, right? Fear. Yeah, you know, I sense much fear in you, Skywalker. That way, you really understand fear. We're not talking a normal fear here. But there, there are many things that, that drive our fears, Correct? Um, you know, there's so, there's so many pickings I can go from here. I'm going to list a few. Of course, there is political fear, right? You know, depending which, uh, which side of the spectrum. If you're on the left, you're, you're, you're afraid of, of what the Republicans are doing. If you're on the, um, uh, on the right side, you know, you're afraid of, of what the policies of the left are going to be. And it's all fear-driven, right? And then, of course, there's international fear, right? We're, we're afraid of what other countries might do, Yeah? I mean, when you think about it, why do, why do most countries dedicate so much money to the military and to defense? It's really fear-based, isn't it? There's a fear that 
we're going to be attacked by other forces. We are fearful of the words we use, right? There's a sense these days that if you say the wrong word or in the wrong context that you may well be punished for it. And sometimes that's a good thing. But there's also a certain kind of um, paranoia and fear developing, I fear, in society about this. Um, There's a fear that somebody is going to dig something up from the past. Right? Recently, you're probably all familiar with the story of, of the comedian Kevin Hart, who was going to be uh, presenting the Oscars. And then somebody found a, um, a homophobic slur that he used, I think, back in 2010 or something like that. And this was dug up and it was brought, brought up. And as a result, he stepped down from that position. Now, there's no excuse for what he says, and he should apologize, and he did. And there's a sense, though, have you noticed more and more that there's, there's a sense of there's no willingness to forgive these days. When somebody's genuinely sorry for, for something they did that was wrong, there's still this sense now in society today of like, ha, gotcha, no, you're dumb. One strike and you're out. No such thing as three strikes and you're out anymore. But it creates this fear of our words being used against us. There's, of course, the fear now of, of mass shootings, which have become so common, Right? And one of the things talking to school kids today is a lot of them are genuinely afraid of being at school and what might possibly happen. It's so tragic. That was never an issue for many of us growing up. But it is now a fear that has taken hold in society. Of course, we all have the fear of failure, don't we? None of us want to fail. We're terrified of failing. There's the usual fears of finances, right? of health, the fears for our family. Now being the father of two young girls, I've realized that a part of me is fearful about the kind of world they're being raised in. What are they going to be exposed to? What kind of ideologies are they are going to be tried to drill into them? Many of us are f- fearful of losing our jobs which leads to us overworking, of being fearful of taking vacations that are rightfully ours, and yet people turn away their vacation in case of what other people might think. And perhaps one of the biggest fears today that undergirds society, especially in in the younger generations, the millennials and the Generation Z and what have you, is this fear of lack of identity. Those questions of, who am I? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do with my life? If you were here last week, I highlighted the fact that that is connected to a, a growing disbelief in God. And you take away the reason and purpose for life, you will have no purpose. So we're very much a comfort based society and a fear based society right now. And the cool thing about this passage that we just read this morning is that Isaiah, he addresses both of these driving forces in society. He addresses comfort and fear. And one of the reasons that the Bible is understood and seen as a a living, breathing book, that much of it can be read on a multidimensional level. This is is a multidimensional book. And what I mean by that is that, that although, the, although this was written thousands of years ago, 
and was about and spoken to readers back then, it still speaks to us today. It's still relevant and applicable to our lives today. And so this passage from Isaiah that we read this morning, this is, this is a great example of a multi-dimensional passage of Scripture. Because the way I see it, it can be read and understood on at least three different dimensions. Okay, so number one, it can be understood from the perspective of Israel. Back in the times that Isaiah wrote. This is the original context of when Isaiah was writing. And so we can look at it from the perspective of Israel back then. Secondly, we can also look at it from the perspective of the church. How that now, we had Israel as the chosen people of God. But the chosen people of God now is the church of Christ. It's the church of Jesus. So if you're part of the body of Christ, you are part of God's chosen people. So we can see it from that perspective. And then thirdly, we can see it from a personal perspective. We can see this scripture as speaking directly to us, to each and every one of us. And so if I was going to give a seminary lecture, I would probably go to the Israel perspective and I'd give you all the history and the context and we'd look into all that. But we're not in a seminary. We're in a church. And so what I want to do is I want to focus on how the scripture can apply to our own lives today. So we begin, and we begin with a statement from the Lord. And it says, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. And I want you to think for a second of just replacing those words, Jacob and Israel, with yourself. So that it would read, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, he who created you, he who formed you. And what the Lord's basically saying here is, is that I made you. You are my creation. I formed you. You exist because of me. You know, one of the wonderful things about Sarah's pregnancies was that um, because she was considered um, of advanced maternal age. <clears throat> I know it's hard to believe looking at her. But we, we had more ultrasounds than normal, than, than younger mothers, okay? Because they wanted to check on the baby's process, uh, progress and they were just uh, being more um, diligent about it. So we had very regular ultrasounds. And with both Dove and Vespa, what was amazing was to see how that baby was being formed week in, week out, how they were developing. You could hear their little heartbeats. You could see their little feet, their hands. I could see their ears. I knew Dove was going to have ears a bit like mine before she was born. Poor girl. Fortunately, they don't quite stick out as much as mine, but they definitely got good sizage on them. (laughs) But it's incredible, and it was always a reminder to me when they would give us those ultrasound pictures that the Lord is forming us. He formed us. He made us. From day one, it's such a beautiful thing when you realize that you are all a creation of God. He goes on and he says, do not be afraid. Why? For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Let that sink in for a moment. That is, that is three powerful declarations from God himself. 
You are redeemed. You have been summoned by name and you are his. I want you to, I want you to say these with me now, folks, because I want this to sink in. All right. Say with me, I am redeemed. Say, he has called me by my name. And say, I am his. In this context, redeemed means that the Lord himself has made you his next of kin. Yeah? Think about that for a second. He's made you his next of kin. So if you're in Christ, you are part of his family. And he will take care of your needs. No matter what happens as God's next of kin, he will take care of you. One of the the myths and deceptions that is often taught and preached in a lot of churches is that once you turn your life over to Christ, everything will get easier. Everything will get more comfortable and you'll become more prosperous. You ever heard that preached? Yeah? Give your life to Christ and everything's going to be hunky-dory, folks. It's going to be great. It's what we call the prosperity gospel, right? And you've heard me do my... TV evangelist impression and all that, right? But we need to remember something here, folks. Who is our primary example? Who is the number one model in our life? It's Jesus, isn't it? Right? And when we look at Jesus, Jesus suffered more than any of us ever will. And I know you might be thinking, well, you know, come on, there are people who have suffered worse deaths than crucifixion. And you're absolutely right. There are people who have suffered more horrible deaths than crucifixion. But what I'm talking about here is not what he suffered physically on the cross, but what he suffered by bearing the weight of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, on his shoulders as he hung on that cross, and the fact that he experienced temporary separation from the Father. That kind of suffering none of us have ever experienced. And he is our model. In fact, Jesus gave us a guarantee. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah? That was one of Jesus' guarantees to us. Thanks, Jesus. That's a great one. (laughs) Always wanted a lot of trouble in this world. That's awesome. But it is a promise he makes to us. And here's the funny thing, right? It is not uncommon, actually, that when, when you give your life over to Jesus, and I'm sure many of you can relate to this, life actually might seem to get a little harder. Things don't fall into place, but actually life gets harder before it gets better. And quite simply, the reason for that is that once you give your life to Christ, you become a target for the enemy, for Satan. It's like you get a big bullseye on your back, right? Because there's nothing Satan hates more than people giving their lives to Jesus. Because you know what it means? It means he can't have you anymore. You're not part of his clan anymore. You know, have you ever noticed how many people who we, we, we would consider to have amazing lives, right? They've got gorgeous homes, they've got loads of money, they've got nice cars, beautiful wife, beautiful children, not a health issue in the world. How many of those people are, are unbelievers? And, and we sit there and we ask, why, Lord? Why do they have it so good? And here I am trying to be faithful and obedient to you. And yet I'm struggling paycheck to paycheck. I'm struggling with some chronic illness. I'm struggling with illness and sickness or loss of family. Why? Why do they have it so good when they don't even give you 
any honor or praise. Well, you're in good company because the psalmist says in Psalm 73, listen to what they say. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Anybody relate? You see, why is that? Well, it's in Satan's best interest to keep unbelievers comfortable. Yeah? See, if life is good and comfortable, why are you going to seek God? Why rock the boat? Why get God involved when he might actually challenge you to change a few things about your life? And here's the funny thing, right? It's the same deal if you are a believer. Right? Same wants to keep us comfortable. Because if you are comfortable, you're not growing. You're sitting here static, doing nothing for the kingdom of God. You know, that there are people all over churches, all over the world, who have been going to church for years and years and years and decades and decades. And they've never grown in their faith. They're actually still baby Christians. Because they've got comfortable. They've chosen maintenance over mission. So either way, comfort can be a dangerous thing. And we have to remember it like this, folks. When you have a short-term perspective, you will get a short-term gain. Right? When you have a short-term perspective, you will get a short-term gain. But when you have an eternal perspective, you will get an eternal gain. And Psalm 37 puts it into focus for it. It says, the days of the blameless are known to the Lord and their inheritance will endure forever. We have to remember this life is temporary. And those 70, 80, or if you're lucky, 90 years go real fast. And then we have eternity. We need to develop an eternal perspective rather than a just now perspective. But for the comfort addict in us all, listen to what Isaiah says in verse 2 of this passage we just read. He says, or rather this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, that verse I just read, I don't know if you noticed, but it begins with one very important word. When. When you pass through the waters. Not if. There are going to be waters that threaten to drown us. There are going to be fires that threaten to burn us. And in fact, that, that combination of water and fire that is used here, it's really, it's more of an, an all-encompassing example that really says all kinds of troubles. But if you, have you noticed as well these elements, water and fire? They are elements that we still can't really control. We're powerless to stop a tsunami. Look at the trouble we have controlling wildfires. And the point is that there are going to come in your life things that you cannot control. Things that you have no control over. 
You have no control over finding out you, they, the doctors have just found a tumor. You have no control over finding out that you just lost your job that you thought was completely safe. You have no control over losing a loved one or of having a heart attack out of the blue. There are, there are things in our life that can overwhelm us. But here's the point. Here's the point. <clears throat> the Lord doesn't promise that we won't go through trials and suffering. In fact, he says you will. But when you do, I will be with you. Listen to that. You're going to have troubles, folks. You're going to have struggles. But he will be with you. You will never suffer alone. You will never hurt alone or cry alone because I am with you. I recently read the story of a a woman called Kimberly Jones Potier. And she found herself at age 36, penniless, living at her parents' homes with two children and having gone through two divorces. And she said she was so depressed that she refused to get out of bed for nine months. And I quote, she said, I was desperate, waiting for a miracle, waiting for God to change my life. One day I cried out to God, begging him to take my pain away and allow me to live again. And then the article says, but when she prayed that prayer, something miraculous happened. For the first time in her life, she heard God clearly speak to her. And she said, he said to me, Kim, I can't take the pain away from you. You've got to get up and walk away from it. She said that that was just a pivotal moment for me because I realized that in the church world, we do not expect God Uh, Sorry, we expect God to be a genie in a bottle. We fall on the floor and praise and then nothing changes. And that's why we're up one day and down the next. Because God isn't doing what we want or expect him to do. So do do you see sometimes God will allow these things to happen. Because he knows that we need to be built up. We need to be strengthened. He won't just do everything for you, even though he's able and capable to do all things. Like any wise parent, there's a time to let you struggle a little bit. But he will be with you through it all. He will never abandon you. Why? Well, verse 4 says, Because you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. We need to understand those truths. Again, I want you to say these with me. Say this. I am precious in your sight. Say, I am honored in your sight. And say, you love me. Let that sink in. We are so precious to God that he says he will give people in exchange for our lives. And of course, what did he do? He gave his one and only son, Jesus, in exchange for our lives. He did on the cross what none of us could do. He gave us his greatest gift. And again in verse 5, the Lord reiterates. He says, do not be afraid. Why? Here it is again. For I am with you. This is why at the beginning, I highlighted 
comfort, and fear. Here's what the Lord's really saying in this passage. The Lord is saying, do not fear being uncomfortable. Do not fear the waters and fires of life because I am with you. Is that getting through our skulls this morning? He is with us. And actually, doesn't that echo the words, the very last words Jesus spoke in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I have to admit the movie Airplane kind of ruined that last verse for me, but I'll let you figure out why. So in conclusion, yes, you will, you will have troubles in life, but you will never have to face them alone. And it's easy to forget this truth because we lose sight of how precious and loved we are in the eyes of God. You know, there's, there's power in words. And there's power in declarations and statements we make about ourselves. And you might not realize it, but you probably say more negative things about yourself throughout the day than you realize. If you kept a little log of every negative thought you have about yourself, like, I can't believe that. What an idiot. Oh my gosh, if people could see what I'm doing right now. Wow. You you know, we mutter themselves to ourselves all day. We don't realize there is power in what we say. So... This scripture just has given us seven powerful truths about who you are in God. And I want you to try this this week because I believe there's power in it. There are seven days in the week and I'm going to give you these seven truths about who you are in God and I want you to try speaking them over yourselves each day. You're going to pick one for each day and just declare it to yourself. Look in the mirror and say these words. Number one. I am redeemed. You could start that tomorrow, Monday morning. You get out of the shower, look yourself in the mirror and say, I am redeemed. Number two, he has called me by my name. He knows your name. You're not just a a number. He knows your name. Number three, I am his. Number four, I am precious in your sight. Number five, I am honored in your sight. Number six, you love me. And number seven, I am with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that when we are in you, when we accept your son Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Lord, we are redeemed. You know our names, Lord. We are yours. That we are precious in your sight. That we are honored in your sight. That you love us, Lord. And that you are with us. I thank you that you never abandon us. No matter the trials in our lives. But you stand with us Lord. You walk with us. If you run. If we run rather. You run with us. You run after us. You never let us go. And so Lord I ask that you would. uh, Help us to hold on to that truth. This week and forevermore. That Lord you are with us. And that you love us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.